The phoenix and the dragon in traditional Japanese tattoos symbolize harmony and power. That there is no inner strength without harmony. Brought to you by your two co-hosts, Brian Comstock, an e-commerce brand builder in the field of ergonomics with GetNeely.com. He's experimented with every form of scientifically validated human advancement, ranging from MDMA-assisted therapy, ayahuasca retreats, to peptides and stem cells. Scott Conway is a lead generation and sales expert who has a HIROS.com certified lead generation agency, LGG Media. He is a dragon. Episode 12, Phoenix and the Dragon. I'm excited for this next guest. He's an old friend of mine. We know each other now for about seven years. Before we get started on the intro, Brian, how are you doing today? I'm doing very well. Pleasure to be here. Another amazing guest as always. So I'm excited to dive in. Awesome. Keddy was Keddy Declan or Declan as he, he often goes by. He's born in Nigeria. He's moved around quite a bit, like going to school in Spain, UK. And then for whatever reason, he chose to move to Ottawa, Canada. I'm not sure why he made that decision, but anyways, it, I guess it, it's worked out for him. <laughs> yeah, I guess, and, uh, I guess so. Uh, he's a specialized, I mean, he's project management certified and he specializes in change management, IT change management, background in psychology and technology. He's also very, happens to be very well read as well. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, just a little bit actually, but not that much. Kenny, how are you doing? I'm doing great, man. I'm doing great. Happy to be alive. I'm just happy to also be able to kind of see two individuals who come together to create a positive impact in the world they exist in through these, this podcast. So that's, I have to say kudos to you too, just at the get-go. This is something that I think as we go into more and more challenging changes in, that, in, in the world, more and more individuals are going to need positive feedback from the community. So it's great that you two are doing this. So walk us through your journey, Kelly. Like how did you go from Nigeria to Spain to UK and then eventually end up to where you are now in, in Toronto, Canada? I know you mentioned Ottawa, but you mentioned before offline that you recently moved. Yeah, so I originally moved to uh, to Toronto, and just to I, I believe you you said I studied in UK. I did not study in UK, just in case somebody who knows me realizes that I didn't study in the UK. Now I did, I studied in Spain and came to Canada after Spain. I was in Nigeria, went to Spain, went to went to, came to Canada for, to study. I was very interested in criminals and their psychological profiles, psychopaths who would not. And so I went into criminology at the beginning and thought that would be a good place to start to understand a little bit more about psychopaths because a lot of psychopaths exist in the criminal justice system. But that kind of exposed me to a very dark side of the reality of crime and psychology and crime. And then I realized I couldn't profile anymore. I just didn't want to profile anymore within that dark scene. I wanted to profile in a more business scene. So I went into technology and, and, and psychology to get that same experience of profiling, but I'm doing IT people and I'm profiling to see what kind of personalities exist so we can influence. So yeah, so I did move from Ottawa to, uh, to Toronto, mainly because of, because of work. Toronto is where the, the young man come to, to, uh, to grow their careers. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a little bit of the background in this kind of. Interesting. I could have sworn maybe it was just the accent, and that's where I'm probably yeah, I know, the accent got man. thrown off. And like we've known each other yeah. for so long, yeah. I could have sworn that it is a little. There's some flavor 
Yeah, people think I'm like British or Australian or something, but I'm just Nigerian who just happens to have a mixed mash of different accents from Spain to, to Canada to, you know, to Nigeria. And so what about before you came to Canada? Like what walks through, like, how old were you when you left Nigeria, going to Spain and, and. Yeah, I left Nigeria at a young age and then we came to, we went to Spain to seek new opportunities for the most part, just because of the fact that, yeah, we just happened to be one of, we're blessed in the way that we could pick up one day as a family and decide to move to another country. So blessed in that way. And being outside of Nigeria would promise us to have more, more opportunities to expand the horizons to the West. So we went to, we went to Spain. We had the opportunity to select between the United States and Spain, and we selected Spain just because of the fact that we just, we had heard so much about the United States and back then it was 50 cent to unit and all that stuff. My family actually had a clothing business for, for hip hop clothing and stuff back then. And uh, we just didn't want to go into that scenario. We wanted to go into more hidden location where we can grow as a family. And uh, yes, yeah, so we went to Valencia, Spain, and that was a little bit of a background when, when I traveled to Spain for the most part. Yeah. After that, we came down to, we came down to, to, to Canada, myself, by myself to just search for, I wanted to get educated and be able to take education back to my family and then learn psychology and bring it back and apply it to my family for the most part. So I went to, I was like in Canada to do that. How'd you settle on Ottawa? Out of curiosity, I always ask people that choose to go there. Based off scholarship, I had two scholarships, one from York University and one from University of Ottawa. And so I just based it off which one was paying me the most. <laughs> but what happened to be paying me the most? So I, I took the scholarship at Ottawa. And yeah, it was also really good. People had good things to say about Ottawa compared to York. They said York was a little bit secluded from everything. And yeah, so Ottawa was the best place to go to. Yeah. Interesting. I always, I love to hate on Ottawa, but it's always fascinating to hear the stories of people that end up there that yeah. were originally born. And you're, everyone here, like Brian is in California, Scott is in Colombia. So Brian, were you always born in California? Yeah, I was born in the San Francisco Bay area and then okay. lived in LA for a while and then moved to Columbia. Now I'm back in California, but yeah, it's, I think there's definitely value to getting outside of what you're used to. That's so I'm going to keep trying to do that. Yeah, definitely. There's so much you can learn from integrating yourself into different cultures. It gives your open-mindedness to, to, to life for the most part. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And then learning new languages and such as there's so many reasons for that. If I was raising kids, do you have a family of kids? Is that what I was picking up on or what's your, uh, oh, yeah, no, maybe. I don't know. No, sorry, that's a good question. I did say family before. Yeah. Um, no, I'm Nigerian, so we're very family-oriented. So when I say family, I'm thinking about my nuclear family, my mother, my brothers. And so a lot of the a lot of my motivation comes from trying to create stuff, create a future that will be able to kind of enhance my family members and myself for the most part. Yeah. Excellent. It's a good motivation. Yeah, I was, I slightly brought up because I was going to say if I were raising kids, I didn't know if you were, but if I were raising kids, I think exposing them young to lots of different cultures and languages has tremendous benefit. And so I didn't really do that as a kid. So now I'm doing it as a, an adult and it's still beneficial at any point you can do it. Right. It's just yeah, it ends up your money. Yeah. 
For sure. Socrates said that if I was to teach kids two things, I would teach them music and philosophy. And when you expose the kids to different cultures, scenes, they're able to see the different kind of music and philosophies that exist in the different societies. So that is what technical terms that you're really doing what Socrates spoke about, where you integrate them into all those different cultures. Yeah, I figured as much. Yeah, that's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) I I just, I was like, yeah, whatever I'm saying is probably, you know, what Socrates would say. No, that's awesome. (laughs) It sounds like you're really into psychology, which I'm also into. My favorite classes were social psychology when I was at university college. And uh, and the rest of them? Emile Durkheim and the rest of them, like Foucault. I, for me, it's just like the different archetypes. Like the, when you talk about psych, psych, like the dark triad personality, Machiavellianism, psychopathy, like all this, so then you like branched off of that. And then you're like, okay, how could I use this in a productive profile for organizations? And then you talked about applying it to some extent for your family. So I, and I look at that as those are all valid. And then also relationships as well. It applies to really every aspect of your life. And it's just, a, it's just a very interesting topic that. Yeah. So it just sounds like that's a piece of your uh, fiber. And I was just curious, like, well, is that always been an interest or how do you look at all that? So when I was a, when I was a kid, I was watching this documentary that was about criminal minds. And there was a kid in Barcelona who was around, I think he was around 15 years old. And what he did was he wanted to go out with his girlfriend and his girlfriend wouldn't want him to, his girlfriend didn't want him to come because his parents didn't want him to go. So he decided the only way for him to be able to go to this trip in Madrid with his girlfriend was to kill his parents and be able to go to the trip. So he, in the middle of the night, went in, took a sword and killed his parents. And so I'm watching this, I'm very young and I'm thinking, why the fuck did he do that? And the intrigue, that was what kind of pushed me into trying to think about why do people do what they do, specifically criminal behavior. And so as they went to interview the guy, he actually drove his car, saw his girlfriend in Madrid, whoever he was, I don't know the details specifically now, because it was a long time ago, but he drove the car there, had his fun and was driving back when they, the police stopped him because people started reporting there was a foul smell coming out from the apartment and they hadn't seen the, his parents in a long time. And he was just normal. So he was one of the definitions there of psychopaths. And that's what got me intrigued into kind of learning a little bit more about the current mind for the most part. And it just went into a keystone habit there. You learn something about the mind and then you start realizing, oh shit, I can totally apply this in my own mind as well. And so how can I apply this in my own mind as well? Yeah. Yeah. So that was, that was a trigger point that I always remember that moment. So it's really interesting. You, uh, there's a new series monster than uh, Jeffrey Dahmer story. And I've always been fascinated by it too. Like that curiosity of like, why I was, so I watched the trailer of that. I watched the trailer for that new Netflix series. And I'm like, if I watch this, I'm just going to start, I'm going to have, not even, I'm probably going to have bad dreams, but then I'm also going to start just checking who's outside my front door <laughs> all the time. <laughs> I just have that, like that at the back of my head. Uh, Cause one of my biggest fears is to have a kid that is a, I've always, I've had that fear probably since I've been like 12 years old is to grow up and have a kid that is, has that, has that psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Because being a psychopath, it, the, the fear of having a kid that would be a psychopath. Yeah. It's, it's one of those things. Like when it comes to, when it comes to God and kids, it's, you just hope for the best and cross your fingers and try to be a good person. And hopefully God gives you a kid 
that you expect, right? However, if your kid is a psychopath, then it, it's a tough place to be because till today, psychology hasn't really seen a way to kind of solve the psychopathy issue. And also they don't even really know exactly where in the brain it's occurring. They've seen less of a reaction in the amygdala, the yeah. emotional part of her brain in the, in the psychopath than in the regular individual, but still they don't know what exactly it is about that person that makes the person a psychopath. I just think it's a diversity of human beings, right? You have, just like you have different, different, say, for example, you have different bird types, right? But they just happen to still all fit into that category of birds. I think it's same thing with the human beings. You have different human beings. There are different types of human beings and they just happen to fit into that psychopath category for the most part. Yeah. I found it to be really interesting. The criminal piece is interesting, but it it's just going to create a level of paranoia or whatever for me. But so the piece that I gravitate towards is the high functioning psychopaths, the CEOs, the politicians, like they're a lot of times they can, they can differentiate and specialize into becoming a criminal or becoming like just coldly effective at the highest level. So that's what I've always found um, insanely fascinating, but it's a, uh, yeah. Well, so anyway, it was just tied for that. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, it, it is super fascinating. The criminal, the criminal piece. There was a, I can't remember the. There's a sociologist from Harvard that was referenced by a Peter Joseph show that I watched at one point. That he talks about the two kind of root causes of crime can be boiled down to relative deprivation and then absolute deprivation. Which those who are listening is the absolute deprivation is like you wake up. There's no food in the fridge, so you need to go steal some apples from the supermarket to feed your kid. And the relative deprivation is really where there's a lot, there's a kind of a very kind of dark psychological cocktail that's especially fed more today by social media where you compare your definition of success with your surroundings. And so that creates a certain, for example, looking at Instagram, that triggers people a lot where it's a very like psych deep like psychological pain that activates some people and then forces them to take shortcuts forces them to do things that they otherwise wouldn't all for like some pers material pursuit of status it's it's very interesting that you identify those two those two categories of how criminal behavior emerges i like the idea of that that uh, that operating automatically inside of every single human being if not addressed, there is this essence of the human being called the shadow. And the shadow is, is a frame that is that talked about a lot by Carl Jung, who happens to be, for me, one of the greatest, greatest psychologists that helped us understand the human brain. Carl Jung is so impactful because he's able to understand not just the psychological aspect of the brain, but he comes from a, a background in which his parents and his, uh, it is. His parents were mediums, right? And so they would be part of that society back in the day. They would bring people together and help them communicate with spirits. So he was having some supernatural experiences while he was trying to understand what the brain was. So he allowed him to go even deeper, more deeper than any other, any other person had done. So when you talk about this essence of the social media influencing people to react or these, these other aspects of desperation, influencing people to react into criminal behavior. I see it as individuals will ignore their shadow for as long as possible. 
But however, specific experiences will trigger the emergence of that shadow. Sometimes the experiences could be a regression of uh, trauma whatsoever, or it could just be an insecurity. The insecurity could be, could be maybe I put out my picture out there and nobody liked my picture, right? So now the shadow of insecurity of, that comes out of, you're not good enough. Hey, listen, like you should actually go ahead and stop eating your fat ass. You know, stuff like that. Those terrible insecurity conversations that occur comes out whenever the shadow isn't addressed, right? The same thing occurs with the individual who, who ends up in a desperate situation and ends up taking the side of the shadow. I believe that any situation that you're in requires a specific behavior to come. And if you don't understand your shadow, you wouldn't know how to use that to, to not do criminal behavior, but to do something a little bit more moral and ethical. Because there are some criminal behaviors that aren't really exactly moral, right? My message from that, my biggest takeaway is that don't have 12 milkshakes and pizzas a day and people will like your pictures on social media. My message is I'm asking for a friend, but how do you recommend people address quote unquote, address the shadow or how do you harness that? Or what do you do with that? So I've been reading, I've been reading Carl Jung for a bit now, just to understand his different, his different perspectives and shadow. One of the biggest, the biggest influences I would say was this one. This one. So the first book is Owning Your Shadow. Mm. And it's written by Robert Johnson, but this is a very short, I love short books. I have a book myself and I made it very short just so that it makes sense. And, but this really gives you a little bit of an understanding of the dark side of the psyche. And so this gives you a little bit of understanding of how to, what the shadow is, how to explore the shadow, understand it. And this other one over here, just give you a little bit of a nutshell, Carl Jung in a nutshell. So it gives you the entire summary of what, what, what Carl Jung speaks about and how he came about to think the way he does. So. The question was, how do you conquer or understand the shadow? Here's the thing, like the human being, I'm still trying to conquer and understand my shadow. Do you understand what I mean? It's an ongoing process to understand the shadow because at the end of the day, the shadow never really disappears. The shadow is still present in every single thing that we do. The only thing is that it just stays in the background. Carl Jung says that the shadow is anything that we reject of ourselves, anything that we reject of ourselves is what we consider the shadow. Say, for example, if you're somebody who kind of love to talk about money so much, right? You're somebody who was just very boastful and was very proud, love to talk about money, love to talk about how many digits they were making. And the society around you says, Hey, that's not good. You gotta be humble. You gotta, you, they try to beat you down so that you don't, you don't talk like that. Then you can reject that aspect of yourself. You can say, you know what? I'm just going to try my best to be the most humble person that I can be and just try my best not to even just be a bragger or anything like that. Right? So you've rejected that aspect of yourself. So now that is going to hunt you. Now, every now and then, when you come out and you want to boast, you're going to feel a little bit like scared about shit. I told myself I wasn't going to do this. And then eventually you start to go into this loop in which you react to the shadow, like you. You go ahead and boast and you say, yeah, I got all this money. And then you go into the cute and then now you go into a shit. I can't seem to discipline myself to do that. So that's the same thing that occurs with, with addictions, the same thing that occurs with the, with our desires and our needs. So, yeah, so I think that is the shadow is always going to exist. The way that you can then go ahead and 
take control of it based on what Carl Jung is saying is more than anything, you have to go to a systematic process of going deeper into the self. This causes the internal work. And this isn't just the consuming Tony Robbins videos and feeling the momentum oh, and going out and shouting and being like, yeah, I can do it. <laughs> do you know what I mean? Which a lot of, a lot of people do, right? It just, just throw my entire strategy. Oh, there you go. You had a Tony Robbins video schedule for tomorrow. Just about <laughs> that up to you. Well, yeah, but it, it isn't just doing that. There is actually a systematic process that Carl Young depicts that we can take. And I'll speak about it in a bit, but I just want to just, you know, take some air because I've been talking for a bit and just give it on to you guys. No, I appreciate that. No, keep, let, yeah, Scott, let it rip, but I, you're on a roll, man. I love this stuff. So especially for someone who's actually read, I got to read those books, but it's, these are all applicable topics for everybody. They apply to everybody. Everyone has a shadow. Nobody knows how to deal with it. Nobody knows what it actually is more or less. So you're hitting on something that is incredibly important to essentially everybody. Yeah. Yeah. That's what we realized, right? That the shadow is something that we all have in common. And some people will sit down and watch a, watch a video of somebody who goes ahead and defrauds. I'll be watching some scam artist videos as well. Defrauds a population and they can sit down and be like, oh, that person's terrible. Yes, they're terrible, right? They've taken the shadow to an extent, but the reality is the only reason why they did so was the circumstances they're in. If you were given the same circumstances with the same ability to push through and win, would you do the same thing? And the, the, the potential is potentially, right? Depending on your values and your principles, because the shadow exists in every single one of us can one day decide tomorrow I'm going to become entirely selfish in my actions. You know what I mean? And hurt people in the process. Every single one of us can do that. But if we don't address that ability and that power, because it's also positive power as well. It's a positive energy, right? If we don't address it, then it's really just going to consume us. And we're going to find ourselves going into automatic behavior. I don't know why I keep doing these things. Because you haven't really addressed that, that shadow that keeps taking control of your everyday behavior. So it's fascinating about that. And have you ever done the positive intelligence survey from saboteurs? No, I have. Positiveintelligence.com. You'd find it really fascinating. It's, they've done a, it's very in-depth, like very highbrow. There's a lot of academic studies uh, backing it, but I, it's something that was recently introduced to me through this emotional intelligence coaching program that I'm, I'm doing. What, it's like, what did you publish me then, Scott? Positiveintelligence.com. Intelligence.com. And it, it walks through, it, it'll put you through this survey and it'll walk you through the 10, through 10 saboteurs, which are these 10 archetypes that are the biggest things that will get in your way or your biggest kind of ways of self-sabotage. And there's a number of them that are really interesting. There's 10 of them. And my two biggest ones are like the high achiever and then restlessness. And in doing this assessment, what I realized is that the restlessness is like my need to constantly stay busy, to constantly saying, yeah, constantly doing things. And, and it's a coping mechanism for anxiety. And it's been the number one thing that's held me back instead of achieving like a large, a larger degree of depth in the projects that I'm working on, as opposed to, as opposed to just doing a lot of different projects, not as well, or not to the... Not to my ability because I'm not saying no 
And then there's also pleaser aspect of it. Of It's another archetype of wanting to please and say yes, struggling to, to say no. And so identifying these is really, it, it helps create a lot of awareness. For example, the high achiever wanted something that I imagine we could all relate to of like, yeah, it's like pursuing like status and pursuing success and like never, for me, sometimes it feel, it can feel like I never stack up to my own standards. And even though economically things are great is, is I can, it can lead me to feel empty at times. And so in doing this assessment, it's allowed me to recognize a lot of these, a lot of these. And then on the flip side, these strategies to deal with them are called sages, which we're working through on this program over the next two weeks. But it's a very simple, it's a very simple model that actually walks through the psychology as well of how it is that these coping mechanisms were both formed, as well as the kind of the reoccurring thoughts or actions that they can lead you taking or that you can gravitate towards naturally as a result. I love that you're doing some deep dive into the, into the self, man. That's really great. Does it work that we're talking about, right? This is kind of work that you have to understand it from a technical standpoint. So when, when you brought this up about this podcast, I said that I'm in technology because I found the opportunity of that the brain is like a system itself. And you have to understand all the codes and the technical aspect of the brain that you can influence and going deep. I understanding those personality types that you are is technically like going in deeper into a code and understanding what makes the code, what makes the software reactivate. And so that's the kind of work that is necessary. That's the best way to understand human beings is to understand the self. And we should never kind of start to want to understand human beings by trying to read about them and what's or not. One of the things that really intrigued me was trying to understand my own self. That's the only reason why I embrace psychology because it allows me to then understand my behaviors and understand the rest of the individuals. But yeah, I like that, that you're deep into understanding yourself. And I definitely wrote that down, positiveintelligence.com. That's awesome. Definitely recommend the, the subscribing to their emails too, and actually reading the emails. It's not really spam. It's more value out of strategies, but also the, I watch a lot of Tony Robbins videos helps too. <laughs> hey, don't know you're wrong. I actually really like Tony Robbins. I take one of his approaches of uh, engaging folks and I use that in my own technical training to engage them virtually as well. So I like to, Tony Robbins. He's a great salesman. Also, he has a certification NLP a certification that I did pursue as well. Yeah. So it's, I do respect the man and what he's been able to, to do. It's more than anything when people take his information and try to spin it off as that's the only work they need to do is just listen to someone. That's not enough. That's not enough. What was your experience with the NLP? Because I actually just signed up for a workshop for that. It, some people swear by it. Yeah, but I was just curious on that piece for you. So the biggest the biggest aspect of training in neurolinguistic programming, NLP, is that you're breaking down the beliefs that you once came into this world with or that you currently have. And then you're really forming new beliefs about yourself, but also about the world. And what they try to do is they try to showcase how... So Richard Bandler is the founder of NLP and Richard Bandler is uh, another guy that I truly respect. I've watched a few videos of him interviewing people. One thing I really appreciate about him was his ability to actually treat trauma. In NLP, what, he, what inspired him to become uh, the founder of it, one of the, the two founders, but he's the prime founder there uh, of NLP, was that he was a technical guy. He was a software developer or something of that nature. And then he realized that 
the brain has a technical essence to it. And if he can write code and switch the way a, a software behaves, he believed that he can also find codes in, in the body and the way that the body communicates itself to then influence specific aspects of behavior. So he was known to, to bring clients in who had like a phobia and he would cure that phobia in 20, 20 minutes. And the way that he was doing it is through this neuro-linguistic programming techniques that this is literally programming the brain. That's what the neuro-linguistic is all about, is knowing how to use programs to influence the brain. So he's doing things like getting them into a state of hypnosis through conversation. He's doing things like trying to have them looking at their eyes to see in NLP, they're looking down through a specific angle. It shows that they're thinking about a situation, imagining a situation, just and if they're looking up, I have to, I have to jiggle my understanding of that, but they're just different eye movements and you can understand about human behavior, what they're doing. Right. And so he starts to create a more systematic, technical way to understand human behavior outside of just the, oh, the consciousness and, and the E and the ego, it's more, let's go into practicality. This is what you can do to actually influence If I was to recommend a book or NLP, I think the biggest books here I would recommend, I have several here for NLP, but the biggest one here is this one is called, is written by Richard Bandler and it's called Transformation, right? And, and so he's the father and creator of NLP, but this really takes you to a step-by-step -step how to harness the power of hypnosis to, to, to ignite effortless and lasting change. And I've been doing this in my own life for the past two, two and a half years. And I, my, my partner really thinks I'm crazy. I will show you a few of the priming strategies I've used to create that. I also, I also have some stuff I'll show you guys as well, but I've been using the strategies to prime myself and hypnotize myself on a daily basis. And the change has been astronomical. I have to be honest with you. And it's something that I'm just, I owe it not just to this book, but to other books I've been reading about. But if you're looking to an NLP, Brian, I think this book would be really informative because it takes you a step-by-step -step approach and exactly stops you at each chapter and gives you an activity to do for the most part. No, that's really helpful. Some of it is, I used to jump to, I used to jump to the how-to of like, all right, just tell me the 10 steps or tell me the book to read and I'll just do it. And now I've shifted more towards the beliefs and like motivations and hope. So I know I can implement whatever, but when you say, but I'm still like, I want to be sold more on things. So when you say the changes have been astronomical, I want to hear what you mean by that. And then that'll inspire me to actually follow through on the steps that I would need to take. But yeah, I was just curious, like, what, have, what do you... What changes into your life do you attribute to any aspect of the NLP? I think the biggest change that I attribute to NLP is a lot of the different systems that I've put together are a combination of different, different psychological approaches, like exposure theory and what's not. But for NLP, I think the biggest is the visualization and how to visualize and how to create that law of attraction experience. And so I've started to realize there are different ways for example, there's something called the switch technique, okay? And the switch technique is something that, that a lot of different famous people in the self-help book are used. They have NLP background, like Tony Robbins does a switch technique. You can Google, you can YouTube it, you find him teaching you the switch technique. And it's, it's really, you have, 
it's a way to change the emotional state of the individual. And what, the way you do it is really just by having two images. You have the image, you have the image of the image of the, of the thing you don't want happening. Okay. And then all of a sudden you have a small image, a smaller image here of the thing that you want to happen in replacement. So say for example, if you're a smoker, you have the image of you smoking. Okay. It occurs and you give it a very dark image. You give it like a, you give it like a black and white visualization in your mind. And then you have a brighter, very vivid image of yourself, healthy and running. And then what you want to do is when you imagine that, that darker image of yourself smoking, switch it up with the, with the vivid image, depiction of you healthy and the running and your lungs are good and you're not smoking, you're sober and you just keep doing that. You put the dark image, switch it up into the light image, vivid, I'm running, and you just keep doing that, keep doing that. That is a system in programming the brain that you're really, you're associating in the brain that anytime I see this image, anytime I feel this negative about smoking, automatically the first thing I want to do is I want to be healthy, running, exercising, and once so now the person who's addicted to smoking, now when they start to get that craving, they go automatically in their brain. And they're, they feel like, okay, you know what, I need to go do exercise and stuff. And this isn't something that they're consciously doing, but to get there, there's a lot of conscious effort, of course, a lot of conscious effort that needs to be done. So I think that was the biggest influence for me for NLP was knowing how to kind of visualize and use your visualization to, to create emotions in, in your body. You read it. That's really interesting. I'm going down a lot of these rabbit holes and learning more about it. And so it's. But like I said, part of it is just, it's nice to see and talk to someone who's actually had success with it. And that helps motivate me to follow through on these things. Do you have any other top, whatever top three, or like when you look at, cause you've learned so much about psychology and you have all these book references and you've done NLP and you have an opinion on Tony Robbins, like all these things that you've done, like what are the kind of biggest needle movers for you or what would be ones that you think would be helpful for others to know about? I think that one of the biggest ones, the biggest realization in life is that life is suffering and life is, is a constant experience of pleasure and pain. And for, and this is something that I learned from the Buddhist thinking. And the reality is that when we come to peace with the idea that life is suffering and we expect life to give us challenges, then we can then say, okay, what's in our control and how can I plan ahead of time for this suffering that's coming? So say, for example, if I'm doing well now financially and everything's going well, I can now say, okay, every single time there's a pattern in human experience in which just like a stock, which is like a stock in the stock market, when it goes up, it has to have a correction. And the human being mind is a same thing. Stock markets are actually a depiction of the human being psychological experience in which whenever there's a top, then there's a bottom and then there's a bottom and there's a motivation and motivates us. We get this, we don't want to be at this bottom and we push to the top again and, it, and then we come back down again. So sometimes the down is going to be aggressive. Sometimes it can be a little bit and there's a correction, but there is always going to be a down. For a stock to keep going upwards, it needs to go through different corrections and different moving up and down for the most part. So if we can understand this, that there's always going to be a down, then how do we prepare when the down comes, we don't go all the way down. We have enough buffer zone, enough, what do we call it, resistance that we can bounce off a, just like in the stock market and just go back up. So 
if that's the kind of the biggest thing that I learned was just to be more ready, more prepared and systematize my life so that I'm not reacting to the suffering when it comes, but I'm actually just following the process. I think that was the biggest, I think that would be the biggest, the biggest teachings and that I've learned about the human being. The second one would be something that I learned from Seneca and Seneca's book. So my favorite books, I would recommend it to anyone on the shortness of life. So we know that life is suffering and that's something that we can't really, we can't really influence as much because the things that's going to occur to us. But then when you combine it with the idea that life is short, the only thing is that we as humans, we like to think of ourselves as almost immortals in a very weird way in which we live today, like we're going, like tomorrow's promise. You have people planning 10 years in advance, 20 years from now, you have people working at jobs and saying, you know what, I'm going to retire at the age of 60. You're going to be alive at the age of 60. So we like to think that we know that the future is coming. So Seneca says that life is short. And so therefore we must live life with the utmost intensity because at the end of the day, the only thing we're going to be judged for is literally today. So the one big phrase of Seneca that's probably heard around in the world is opportunity, uh, sorry, is luck, is preparation meeting opportunity. And so that was his mindset that we need to prepare for all these opportunities that are going to exist. Because if we're not prepared on a daily basis and we're not living life at the utmost intensity, then all those opportunities are just gonna pass us by. And lastly, Senator said that people are more likely to spend their time and not give away their money. And that was a big one for me because we want to embrace money, like money's going to go back to the grave with us. And the reality is the only thing that you're not going to have when death comes is time. So we should be more embracing of our time than money itself. So for me, if I'm going, for example, I'm traveling and I know that I'm going to spend four hours on a train as opposed to one hour in a plane that I'd be like, yeah, it makes more sense. Well, less than trying to save up some cash and like, yeah, let's cough it up in the trade. That's all good. But just from a time standpoint, I want to kind of maximize my time because I know that it, I can make way more if I just have more time. The money doesn't matter. Does that mean? Yeah, it's, tr yeah, it's like trying to reprogram that that erroneous bias of we bias towards the money versus time. And that's a flawed way of thinking when you really look at the context of your life and what you have and non-renewable resources, right? So time is non-renewable money. You can always make more of these are good things. And it goes back to the psychology, right? It's like, it's all, you should be aware as level one, you should have the awareness of what are your biases and what are you as a human naturally proclivity, what's your natural proclivity to do or to think. And so. That's really interesting. When you talked about preparing for the suffering and you systematize, do you have VIX around there that you could share, or is it just like the over yeah. expectation itself? No, I'm a systematic guy. I'm in IT, so I like the camp systems. And one of the reasons why I went to IT was because I love systems and psychology and realized that I, you can take systems and knowledge from IT and apply it in terms of the computer that exists in the brain. So let me just show you. I'll share my screen if I can right now. And I will show you how I systematize this experience. Let me know if you can see my screen. I'm just going to share right now. Yep. Yeah. yeah. In regards to since life is suffering and emotions are going to go up and down, what are the things that we can control? We can only control, let me just zoom in. If my mouse is purple and it's big, it's because of the fact that I trade and I currently train 
different, different users. So I have to have my mouse big so that you can see it. So hopefully it also works here and you can see that where I'm pointing at effectively. So the, so the way that you would be able to commentize your life is to be able to take control of the things that you can control. So to do that, you have to create a, a system in which you're holding yourself accountable on a daily basis. Okay. And the, there are different ways through which I hold myself accountable. The first way is I, I have a certification in, I'm just about to, I have a certification in project management and project management is really about creating systems to manage a specific project. So one of the reasons that I went to project management was I realized that my life is a project and the way that I go into things nowadays is based on, okay, how is it going to influence me positively? I'm learning for myself and not really learning for the world, but in, in return, I'm learning about the world by doing these things to myself. So. I started to schedule my lifestyle like, like a project. So I have, I broke it down into, it's called project self and the project self is, it just has a little bit of background here. There's a misconception about what it takes for a man to change, to change himself. For a lot of people, change will take years and years. This is only because man believes in time. The, let me just go back here, the believes in time and the reality is this, the belief in time subjects the mind to, the, to project itself into the future. What if we had no time and what if you have, all you have right now is just this moment. So this is the concept of re, around the project self. I'm looking to focus on three things in my life. And these are the simplification of what are those three main things that I learned from all these teachers that, that I read about that the individual should focus on. And those three main things is the mind, the body, and the soul. But the mind, what we see, hear, and learn. So in that case, if I'm to focus on the mind, what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on seeing great things. I'm going to focus on sharing great things. I'm going to focus on learning great things. So I'm going to focus on all the things that are positive, that can positive, positively influence my mind. And we're going to, I'm going to show you how I adopt that into a habit tracking tool and, and I show you how I custom that. But then the second thing we're going to focus on is our physical strength and mobility. And Scott, you can probably, you can probably speak about this, but I hadn't grown physically. I've grown physically a lot since last time we saw each other in Ottawa a long time ago. And it's just mainly because, because of the focus in the, in the body aspect, because our body is really just think about it as the, it's the car and, and the soul is technically the driver, right? And so the body needs to be in shape for you to get to your destination, your Ferrari or your car needs to be in shape for you to get to destination. So I have to have a good physical strength and mobility. I can exist for a long time. And lastly, the soul, which is, I believe one of the most important, if not the most important is that you need to connect to a higher being other than yourself. And it's just, it's as straightforward as you need to believe that other than you, something greater than you exists. And if the, for you, that's aliens, if for you, it's God, is if it's anything else, but you need to have that understanding. And how do you do that? You have to take processes like meditation. You have to do things that will allow you to go deeper into yourself, to realize how disconnected you are from the reality that you are one, one piece of the positive in a bigger scale. I'll stop there and then we can later on go into the actual routine and I'll show you how I track my progress and what's not, but I want to stop there just to give you guys some opportunity that I feel like I went on a rant here. This is super fascinating. It's a really interesting way that you have, uh, 
yeah, that you've taken project management methodology and brought it into your own, like how you manage yourself. Super fascinating. I'm actually, I'm doing some project. I'm doing a lot of like project management review and really just try to understand projects and how it applies to operations in our business. And it's super, it's very fascinating and I'm making a lot of like the same kind of rookie or made it not as, you know, I would say at the beginning of this quarter, made a lot of the classic looking mistakes of creating too many tasks as opposed to focusing on, is focusing on with the, the end in mind. And then what are the actual step-by-step projects that need to happen to accomplish those objectives? Yeah, no, I feel you. I've been there as well. That was one of the motivations that made me go into more of a systematic approach because I found that when you're creating too much, when you're in your mind creating all these solutions or wanting to do all these things, then you really kind of sometimes jump in the gun on that necessary foundational step that needs to occur and it bites you in the future. So with, with a systematic approach to tell me what the necessary steps need to be so that I'm covered and I reduce the risk, then that's what made me go into more project management. And I also got a certification in change management and I'm getting a certification in agile uh, methodology next, next week. So yeah, so it's really just, I'm learning, getting all these certifications because it's really enhancing the way I think about my own personal self. Yeah. How often do you, cause agile is actually one way they try to answer this question, but some of it is balancing rigidity and flexibility, right? So if you have a rigid system, then you can adhere to the rules and you can adhere to your goal, but it doesn't allow the flexibility to incorporate new information, new set of circumstances. And I'm all, I feel I'm often at tension between those. So how do you factor that in of stay the path versus maybe it's time to change your change course. So that that's a perennial question that always comes up, but I was just curious how you factor that in with this sort of systematic approach. Yeah, so to do that, I will show you the agile methodology approach I take to managing my daily tasks. And so if we go into my goals here, I'm just going to goals and I'll go into, I'll go into my daily sprints here. And I just have this test sprint here. So this is, so just a little bit of a background to agile methodology. Agile methodology is it's a methodology in IT to develop software that's usually used for software development. And what it really says is that it takes a more kind of a broken down approach to developing software. So before Agile, we used to develop software in a way that we would get a specific group of people and they'll work on the project for the next two, three months. And then they will show you the product after three months. When Agile comes in, Agile breaks it down and says, we can't wait to show the client the product in three months. We need to have a process through which we evaluate ourselves on a weekly basis so that we make sure that the code that we're putting in is the right code, but also we're also getting feedback from the client. So Agile now breaks that three months into two-week sprints. Every two weeks, we'll connect with the client and we'll show the client the software and say, hey, what do you think? How do you like it? Is it good? Do we need to change something? And if the client says, yeah, change this, and then you change it. So that kind of gives you the idea of Agile methodology. So when you apply that approach in your life, it's really about working on a weekly sprint. So every single week, you start your week with all the necessary principal priorities that you need to do. So let me just go in here. I'm just going to zoom out a little bit and close this up so we can see. So over here, I have the sprint backlog, which is something that exists in, is in Agile. And my sprint backlog is, is a weekly, but I kind of input into it every single two days. And what it is, 
you put down a list of top priority things that you need to do for the week. And you just put it as you, and usually there's a certain amount that you can keep, but for the time being, let's just say you put eight things. Okay. And the thing that you need to do for the week. And so in software, they would put down eight things that they need to execute to start say, developing the software or wherever they are in the start in the period of the development. But eight things they need to do in that week and the project manager will hold the software developers to those eight things. So in this case, you're the project manager. You identify those eight things that you want to do for the week. These are your top priority things that are going to make you very productive, right? Just to give you an idea, I, I work 80 hours. I work two clients who expect 40 hours from me on a weekly basis at that puts me at 80 hours, but thanks to this, I still have times in which I'm sitting down on the couch, eating some tacos and my partner's like, don't you have work? And I'm like, I already completed my work. And it's mainly because of the fact that I'm using this agile uh, methodology that allows me to be, in, I like to say a little bit more pro productive in my day. So when we go ahead and name these eight things, we have this area here in which we're holding ourselves accountable and we're doing a daily standup. And in Agile, daily standup is when the project manager comes up with into a, a short meeting with the software development team and says, what are you doing today? And then everybody says what they're doing and he holds them accountable for that. So you're doing that daily standup with yourself, 15 minutes in the morning. What am I doing today? And then you start to kind of take from here, which is your spring backlog and you input it here into what am I doing today? Okay. And I've broken it down into, so we have here daily standup meeting, 15 minutes, what did I do yesterday? That's one thing we do as well, as well in agile meetings. We say, what did you do yesterday and try to better what you did yesterday? What am I doing today? And this is where we broke it down into in the morning from 8.30 to 12.30. And I've executed all the things that I needed to do in the morning. And I have this completed area here in which I, I put in the completed. And in the afternoon, I have the same things. I, mean, I still need to execute these two in this afternoon. I'm gonna take those two and put them here. But these one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight things are actually going to be something that was big priorities for today. That if I went back and sat down and watched a movie for two hours, I never really executed my priorities. So I take this agile approach to keep myself accountable and, and it's a one week sprint and I have to consistently kind of every single week, go back and reconfigure this same thing again and say, okay. What am I doing this week? Okay. What am I doing this week? So this has allowed me to kind of enhance my, 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 my work experience, my career experience. And now I'm about to take on a third client and still, cause I'm just feeling like I have time. <laughs> I have two clients demanding 40 hours each and I want to take on another 40 hours. Cause I'm like, I have time. You can say it's a little comic in me in regards to how, so look, I'm just going to stop there. So I don't, I'm not ranting too much and let you guys talk, but I wanted to talk about this timing here of the hourglass. And I'll just let you guys ask any questions or comments. What is, what aspect of this has been the game changer for you? If you had to explain, like, why has this been, is it the focus on the daily accountability? Is it the ultra clarity on what you're actually getting done? What would you, how would you explain like why this made you more productive? So the reason why I made it more productive is because a lot of times we, as humans, we're in our emotions, right? A lot of times emotions can be triggered by TV, by our partners, by whatever. When we're in our emotions, we forget the things that we need to get done and we just stay in our emotions. When we start to measure and identify those things that need to get done and we hold ourselves accountable on a daily 
weekly basis, then we will start getting more things done. And sometimes when we get into an emotional state, a way for us to move out of the emotional state would actually come here and execute one of these bullet points. Cause that's what happens for me. Now, when I get into an emotional state, I'm like, shit, I feel like sitting down and just watching TV and eating shitty food. And I'm like, but I haven't executed all my tasks for today. Let me go in there and execute it. So it, it kind of allows you to find a place of solace in, in, in execution. I think that's, that'd be the key for me. The place of solace is actually a key phrase that I resonate with because I did the strength back to psychology stuff, but I did the strength finders 2.0 and it basically ranks you in terms of different strengths you have. Mine were achiever, focus, discipline, learner, and input. And, but the number, the top one is achiever and meaning basically, which is a more glamorous title than it is in this context is you're basically a workaholic. And so if you never have that, so like this framework or any framework you can find that gives you that quote solace of, okay, I did the work I need to, and this will relate to Scott too. So definitely pay attention to Scott because there's a level of, there's a level of restlessness that we talked about earlier. And there's a level of workaholism that applies to enough people on this call and enough people out there where you never really feel like you actually got it. And so you keep pushing, you keep burning yourself out. But this framework, which is one of the better ones that I've seen, allows you to check that box of, okay, I can sit on the couch and I can have my solace that I got done what I needed to get done. So I do find that to be underappreciated because if your tendency is just like keep pushing, like you're never, it's, that's how you risk burnout, which in a bigger context means you're actually going to be less productive, right? Because if you're, if you're burnt out. So that's where I found this because I've done this before with a different business. And that was my favorite thing about it is just the mental like completion of like today or this week, like I got it done. I sprinted through Monday and Tuesday and now I can have the rest of the week because I got it done. And there's a, there's just, because the reality is everything's infinite. Business is infinite. You can exactly. Infinite, you can do an infinite number of tasks. You can have an in, infinite number of conversations. These podcasts, I can go in an infinite number of directions. Everything is just overwhelmingly infinite and so having like putting like artificial bookends on your project if you were to call it that is to me it's just the mental component it's like the it's like burnout resilience or burnout protection is to me the biggest benefit with this no that's exactly it you're very much right right because agile methodology is technically this approach but a little bit more and focus on software and the reason that it came about was because clients kept on coming back and saying i want more and so what agile does it says okay in the next two months we're going to execute this on a weekly basis and give you a final product if we give you the product that you, you your heart desired 100 percent, that's not what we're looking for if we can give you a product that works and that is 80 percent and that it allows you to put it out to the market. And in the background, we can start working on that product to make it continuously improve. Then that's what we're looking for. And so it stops us from going into that perfectionist, the perfectionist nonsense that we put in our head of, I want to keep kind of executing, but not know it, how much you've achieved in the week, how much you've actually, how much you've actually grown, right? But you just want to keep going because you haven't seemed to put that measurement to it. Yeah, it's a pretty sophisticated, there's actually a lot 
more than meets the eye with it because again, come in leveraging our psychology motif or topic today. There's a lot that goes into it, right? There's the solace of I complete it. And then there's the kind of quote unquote dopamine of, okay, I like got it done. And I feel a sense of like completion and pride. And then there's accountability. So there's a social component and accountability aspect, but there's a lot that goes into it to make it, you know, why it's one of the more popular, like IT programming team methodologies. Yeah. Methodologies. Yeah. Yeah. So this is how I do it in Korea. In my own personal life, I use a habit tracking tool. So you can see them <laughs> really well into the systematic. So I use a habit tracking tool and this kind of gives you an idea. So you have this, there's some numbers here. There's numbers have changed from location case in that. But what I have is a board over here just in front of me in which I track. So what I realized was just based on psychology, I go with this exposure theory in which the things we expose ourselves to is really good. What's going to make us who we are, right? So therefore. I'm going to try and expose myself to positive behaviors consistently. And I'm going to, I'm going to give myself a daily goal for those positive behaviors, reward myself for those positive behaviors. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to make a list of different positive behaviors that I, I believe are based on studies in psychology that will help me prime myself. And so I listed this, the behaviors here, learn meditation, affirmations, journaling and doing some, I do affirmations verbally and also written. Okay. Because verbally we can share it. The one thing I didn't say was that NLP allowed me to understand that we need to learn from all our senses. We need to learn from, if you really want to learn fast and learn quick, you have to learn with all your senses. So you have to see, you have to hear, you have to speak, and you have to smell, right? And to smell, I have this, this scent air diffuser that allows me to calm down and this is called liquid sunshine. So that's a positive influence in my smell. But then in terms of learning is what I see. Meditation is the visualization, affirmations, verbally is sharing, written, writing. When we write, we engage our critical, our creative and our technical brain left and right at the same time. That's why it's so important. Journaling allows us to go deeper. Taking a walk is actually something that is, is not seen as so embrace, but 30 minute walk is something that's also a good habit that I get. I also play music and I find that music calms me down and allows me to get a different perspective. So I have a, a one point there for music, one point for reading, one point for tea because tea relaxes me and tea itself has these qualities that relaxes the individual, but also cleans out your system positively. So this is also positive. So you can see also stretching, cleaning and push-ups and abs. I have point for each one of those behaviors. So these are habits that are important to me. So you could create any positive habits that are important to you. Maybe you like to wake up and uh, drink coffee, but you drink coffee with a bulletproof coffee like, like Tim Ferriss does. These are just a positive habit that can influence how much coffee you take for the rest of the day because the bulletproof coffee lasts for a long time. But you could create those positive habits, but then measure it on a daily basis. And so what I do is I measure it, give myself a point for each habit. And I have a scroll tracking just over here on the right-hand side in which I can see what points I got every single month. And I could go back and be like, fuck, like January, I was killing it. And something went on in February, I only got 87. And I even went down even lower and I've been struggling to get back up to where I am in January. So as of September, I'll be way closer to January than I was in these other months, just because it allows me to see exactly how I was inconsistent with my positive habits. That's an indication of what's mental issues are occurring in Woodson. I don't know, does that make sense? Yeah. 
Makes plenty of sense. Yeah, I was. I super geek out on this stuff and I always look at stacking and sequence. So for, for example, with the walking, I have that in there, but then I think about what's the optimal sequence of it in my day. And you can get a twofer, the benefits of walking of which there are many, but you can get an additional benefit if you're going to do it anyway for 30 minutes. I do it after I eat, particularly after I eat dinner, because then it modulates and reduces my blood sugar spikes. So now you're getting a physiological benefit in addition to what you would already get walking. So you can really geek out on this stuff, which I have. Let's, that's why I was like pausing because it's another never ending rabbit hole, but I really geek out on like, how do you set it up to be a win? You know? and, and, and there's, yeah. Cause, and then the ones that are difficult to do, you think about, okay, what do I, what barriers do I have to remove to to make it more accessible. And yeah, there's a whole, it's the atomic habits and all these books. So talk about habits, but it's, yeah, because when you look at it, it's actually not, cause I used to think of it as like just a list, but it's actually what comprises your days, which comprises your life. Right. So this, mm -hmm. these are the building blocks that actually really truly build your life. It's not, oh, like in consistency, consistency applied over time. Like this is going to be the makeup of your, like you said, I love how you broke it down your mind, what you consume, your body, what you're like, how you're building yourself and your spirit. That's, this is your entire fucking life. So that's it. That's it, it. Yeah. yeah, that's it. You're very right. You're very right. And that's what every single, and every single intelligent philosopher, scientists have been saying the, this Cartes was saying that your soul involves the mind and the body and the connection between that. But if you go deeper into Buddhist mentality, they identify the man, body and soul. That's the only focus that the human being should focus on and see how they can positively influence those things, those parts. And priming is very key. And I wanted to show you something very quickly that pull up attention in the conversation yeah, I can share I can share this with you but so in here this I have another binder right and so this is kind of all paper right but what is this paper these are all affirmations uh written affirmations that I've been doing for the past few years now and I have two binders and it's really if you look at the it's all like I, I there's all the information I've been doing but I have uh, <laughs> a lot of papers, three binders of that. It's really priming yourself is really taking these processes and implementing them regardless of what the, uh, what the outcome is, because from a psychological standpoint, we know that a systematic approach to priming consistently over time is going to change behavior. So I think that I do these things very adamantly on a daily basis and you can't be great. You can't be perfect. You're going to fail at some point and, and not do everything that you want to do, but it's really about continuing to do it because exposure and priming put together is a cocktail recipe for a, a better life and success for the most part, I believe. It's awesome. Sorry. I'm going the papers. I'm going the papers, guys. Sorry about that. Forget the papers just to come out, bring it home with my dear friend. And I was very fascinated with the, I went from profile into kind of understanding how to profile individuals to be able to influence them positively, because that's what I wanted to do with myself. And now I realized, okay, you know what? You learn more when you teach and you learn more when you 
kind of, so now my career is I go into organizations and I teach them different ways to change their behavior and adapt to technology. So I train them on how to adapt to technology. And I use a lot of these psychological approaches to influence their, the behavior and their habits and how they learn, learn technology. So it's, yeah, it's, I'm passionate about this. Sorry about that guys. I got a little bit carried away for all the papers. Oh, no problem. I know that's, I know that's a much longer topic, but like in, in a paragraph from so like, how do you actually do that? Because I've never figured out how to really change people on any levels. So how do you actually shape and influence behavior? You can speak to it at an organization or an individual level, but, and I know that's a very long winded answer, but at least at a high level, like how do you even begin to do that? Because I've never been able to figure that one out. Yeah, yeah. So there's this, I'll give you a systematic approach to identify and how to change behavior. So there's this approach in change management that says that for any change to occur, for a behavior change or for a behavior to occur, you need to have awareness, you need to have desire, you need to have ability, not, you have need to have knowledge, ability, and then reinforcement. So it's the ADCR model, ADCR, A-D-K. AR, okay. And this is the pro-side methodology model, which I'm certified on. And what it just says is for a behavior to occur or for, for you to change that approach, change that behavior, you need to make sure that the person is aware of the repercussions of the behavior. So for example, I go into an organization, I wanted to change their mindset towards the technology. So I make them aware of all the different negative experiences that could occur if they don't switch into that technology. I make them aware how the rest of the environments in their competitive and people outside of their organization are actually switching to this technology. So if they don't switch into it, you're going to be left behind. So you make them aware of the repercussions and the opportunities that exist inside of that. And then I go ahead and in desire, I tell them the benefits. So you tell yourself the benefits of all these things that you need to do. What are the benefits of trying to follow a system? You create that list of benefits of trying to live a more better life. And what are the benefits of this technology coming in? That way I can motivate them. And then I go into knowledge. So now you know the benefits. Let me teach you how to use this tool. Let me teach you how to use the technology itself so that you can feel empowered enough to experience these benefits. So in knowledge, you're really doing these, these learnings on how you can systematize your behavior for the individual. But in an organization, I'm teaching them how to use a tool. I specialize in Microsoft 365. So I teach them how to use Microsoft 365, how to make this one button you click here and it automates your whole behavior and you're like, shit, that saves me time. I'm like, yeah, no, that's so cool. You can do it. You have, go ahead and do it yourself. So you teach them that you give them the knowledge and then you give them the ability. You have to have the ability to actually execute that behavior. They have to have the ability to use the technology. They have to have the license to that technology. They have to have the access to that technology. So we start to think about how do we make it easier for them to access the tool? How do you make it easier for yourself to access the gym? How do you make it easier for yourself to access knowledge and resources? How do you make it easier for yourself to have the ability to grow? Are you taking yourself out of negative environments and putting yourself in positive environments so you can have the ability to grow? So how are you influencing yourself in those abilities? And then reinforcement is really just a reinforcement from the from Pavlov that we're looking at, how are you positively or negatively reinforcing your behavior? So in organizations, I show them like, Hey, listen, you guys were here before with the technology and guess what? 50% of everyone is now really good at it. And people are saying these great things about the experience in the technology. So how are you re re reinforcing those positive behaviors? How are you talking to yourself? How are you pumping yourself up? Or how are you actually creating systems 
that allow for positive reinforcement, rewarding yourself. And you go ahead when you close a deal and you buying yourself a gift or you say, you know what? Life keeps going. Let's just keep going. Are you taking the time to say, you know what? Great job, man. Let's get something. Let's go out and have fun. Are we doing that? So for a behavior, a change to occur in the behavior, those qualities, awareness, desire, uh, knowledge, ability, and uh, reinforcement need to exist. And if they exist and you find how that can fit into your own paradigm of change, then you're able to influence that behavior and move and change into whatever you want it. Yeah. Some of them are, it's more control. It's more within your sphere of control, your inner locus of control, if it's yourself. But in my mind, and you can push back on this, but in my mind, when I'm trying to apply that to someone else, the desire piece is the bottleneck because I have the least influence over motivating and wanting, creating the desire. I can't desire it for you. I can show you how to do it. I can solve the knowledge gap. I can solve the reinforcement gap. I can solve the positive, re like all that. I can, I can do a lot of things, but I can't want it for you. I can mm -hmm. influence it by showing you the carrot, showing you the gain and jamming on the pain. And I can like shove that in your face for, to make it sound pretty, but it's, that's the piece in my mind where there is a level of detachment. At least that's how I'm currently dealing with it. Cause I've tried yeah. to me, like the hardest piece when you're looking at influencing of other others. Yeah. There's definitely the opportunity to find the motivation of the individual, right? There's definitely the opportunity to find where the individual sees benefits and you're really asking so Socratic like questions in which you're going deeper into what's important to them. And then you're finding, okay, how can I connect that importance to whatever I'm trying to sell, what product I'm trying to sell. What I do in organizations sometimes is I leave those people and I focus on the individuals within that team that actually are more advocates for change. And what happens is if five of your colleagues are talking about this technology are doing really well, then you're eventually going to fall in line. So I look for ways to motivate and push that person to see the benefits. But yeah, that's, I think, it, I don't know if that makes any sense, Brian. But yeah, but you, do you, but you would agree with me that is a hot button piece. To One thousand percent. Yeah. Cause to me, that's the hardest for yeah, Exactly. You can only influence yourself. Yeah. Yeah. How does this work? Are we, oh, it's 9 PM now. We, are we good to go? Is the conversation? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could be going go on this. Uh, we're coming up on, we're coming up on 90 minutes here. Awesome. 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 Yeah. So yeah. With questions for thoughts from, from you guys. No, I appreciate you walking us through everything. That was really amazing. And I love the systems, but I'm also a systems minded person. So you and I could definitely geek out on this stuff. And I really appreciate you walking us through and sh actually showing under the hood, how you project manage your life and some of these different aspects. So that was, I don't know. I was, yeah, I was geeking out on this with you. So I really, I was really appreciating it. And that, and the, like I said, the habits comprise your day, comprises your life. Like it's uh, may or may not be the most interesting thing to you, but like those habits will create who you are, which is, which is literally your life. I can't, I live my life by it as much as to the best of my ability. So when I see someone like you, who's very proficient in this space, I can, it's good. To, it's a good reminder to, to keep doing it. So anyway, I really appreciate everything that you have to offer. And it's genuinely exciting to speak with someone who has all these different acronyms and you've read different books. And yeah, I took, I was writing down different book recommendations that you mentioned and all that. So very, 
very productive for me. So thank you for that. Of course, it's very productive for me as well to be able to conceptualize these things and actually speak about it. I actually just started, I started a, a YouTube channel called The Change, and I'll be posting some stuff there just because you do a lot of things and you just need to just, you need to kind of have people teach you. So when I come on those calls and I listen to what you guys have to say, your perspective on these thoughts, it allows me to go deeper and understand, you know what? That's a good, that's a good perspective. You know what? I'm going to go ahead and go to positiveintelligence.com do that survey. I'm going to go ahead and take some of the insights that Brian has spoken about the system of things and put that into application because we're, we're learning as we engage in these learning uh, conversations. I think it's very important for more and more men to have these conversations because I feel like men are going down a path of confusion, going down a path of emotional instability. And that's not just because of our own essence of being vulnerable to emotions because we hold them in so much, but also just society and where society is going and how society is pushing a specific agenda down to men, creating more insecurities. So I think that stations, like I said, like stations and podcasts like these allow for men to kind of, and women and anyone else, but I find that I'm speaking from my own bias because I'm a man, my own experience, but it allows for men to go deep and understand a little bit more about themselves and see that all the different people who are, have these different processes. And that's, it's really good for them to feel a sense of belonging in that experience. That's why I wanted, that's one reason I wanted to open the soapbox on the shadow piece. Cause that's a huge component of confusion and struggle and mis misunderstanding. And yeah, so I couldn't agree more. I wish you said that earlier, cause I totally agree with everything you just went in their direction from the, there's a lot we could expand on with that, but I couldn't agree more of that. And I get excited. There are obviously we're not the only ones, but it, I try to support, I know some of them personally, and I see some of them online of different groups and influencers and whatever, trying to build men up and trying to create like a real healthy masculine, not a toxic masculine, not a whatever, just like where there needs to be a counterweight to all the other shit that we're dealing with. So I like to see anything that goes in that direction, which we're just one, one podcast at a time trying to go in the right direction. So thank you for being part of that. No, thanks for having me. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a pleasure. Now I'm going to go nerd the fuck out on this habit tracking and <laughs> you've spread, we've spread methodology in my life. The, the spreadsheet methodology. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. Yeah, that's really cool. I think you all were away in black. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Appreciate it, sir. Big pleasure, man. Big pleasure. And thanks for, uh, thanks for the insight and uh, thanks for the opportunity to kind of, if you don't share your thoughts, you go crazy. So uh, thanks for allowing me to share my thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye. Now with this episode at a close, let's fucking vamos on out of here.